Amen. Thank you, Ken. And, oh, I just, I just love you so much. You're one of my forever friends. And I uh, just want to honor you and your amazing wife, Catherine, and your tribe of five boys. And, and I, just, I just love that family. And I love this church. Uh, I think the Lord's hand is on this church. I think you're going to be part of just an amazing story. I remember like the early days when Ken and I would talk late at night and he would process this dream on his heart that he felt like was from God for Harvest Church. And, and six years later, just to see what the Lord has done and to believe what the Lord is doing. And I'm just, I just want to call you out to tell you to be everything that the Lord intends you to be. Don't just, don't just be a big crowd that sits in chairs and does church once a week. Be a movement of God that, that flips Memphis outside, upside down for his glory. So go after it. I love you. I love you. I'm thankful to be here. Um, and I also love that you're in the book of John, by the way. This is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, there's, a, there's a story I love to tell. There was this missionary, 1995. His name is Camberini, and he was in Zimbabwe okay, with the Zimbabwe Bible Society. And he was passing out Bibles from village to village to village. And he came to this one village, and this one guy came up to the missionary, and this guy was not doing well, okay? He, it was very apparent that he was very far from God. He was very clueless. He walked up to the missionary and said, if I take one of those Bibles, I would roll the pages into cigarettes. But that book looks good for smoking, can I smoke your book? And the missionary looked at him and said, of course you can, but would you promise me this? Would you read each page before you smoke it? He said, I will. Two years later, Camerini comes back to this village. They were doing a village outreach. He was speaking to the village. It actually wasn't going very well in this little event. The crowd was kind of resistant. And then suddenly a man from the back stands up this is his exact quote. I love this quote. He stood up, quieted the crowd, and he said, two years ago, this man gave me this book, and I read and smoked Matthew. <laughs> then I read and smoked Mark and Luke. But when I read and smoked the book of John, I was overcome with the love of God. I understood that God loves me, a light shined upon me, and I decided to follow Jesus. And so, uh, Harvest, I, I love that we are going to be in a chapter in the book of John. This morning, we're going to read it, and then we're going to smoke it. You don't do that here? Okay, we're not going to smoke it, but we're going to read it, and we're going to get after it, and we're going to see some amazing truth that the Lord has used to just to just light up my heart, okay? And um, you may meet me in the book of John, chapter 17. If you got a Bible, I just want to invite you to open it up or turn it on, open the app, whatever it is you do here. Um, John, chapter 17. If you're not that familiar with the Bible, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Um, it was written by a follower of Jesus named John. As you're turning there, let me set it up like this. We are going into a very, very sacred chapter. It's, it's a holy chapter. It's a reverent chapter. Okay, it's a sacred chapter because first of all, you might recognize as you turn there that this is the chapter 
where Jesus is literally on his knees in a garden called Gethsemane, pouring out his heart to God. And it is, it is like the last big chunk of red letters before the cross and the resurrection. And Jesus is emotional. He's hurting. He's in pain. He's, he's even, other gospel writers tell us, he's sweating drops of blood. Okay, so this is kind of a sacred emotional chapter. Um, and not only that, uh, it's a sacred conversation. This is the only place in the Bible that I'm aware of that we are allowed to, just us normal people, actually peer into a conversation that is happening between the Godhead. Like, like don't miss this. This is Jesus pouring out his heart to God, or, or this is God talking to God about what's on the heart of God. It's a sacred conversation between the Trinity. And so even one scholar said, hey, when you go John 17, you are entering the Holy of Holies. All right. And final thing, let me ask you this. If you had just one hour face-to-face to physically be present with Jesus and ask him anything... I've often thought, what would I ask him? I mean, would I, would I say, Jesus, why did you let this happen in my life? Or what are you doing with the world? Or when are you coming again? Or, hey, that theological debate that we're at, like, can you answer it, Jesus? Like, like, how would you spend your moments physically with Jesus? And I've often thought that maybe the best thing that I could do is not talk at all, but just to say, Jesus, would you pray for me? Like, you're God. You love me. You know the world. You know everything. Would you just pray for me? And whatever, whatever Jesus would open up his mouth and pray over me, I think would be worth living my whole life for. And Harvest, there's a chapter in the Bible where that's exactly what Jesus does. He prays. And in this sacred, reverent, amazing, blow-your-mind way, Jesus looks out across all of eternity, and he prays for us. We are reading a chapter where he's praying for us. Have you ever been in like a small group, go around the circle, everybody share your prayer requests? Jesus is like, this is my prayer request, and this is what I'm praying for you. Okay, so do you feel the weightiness of this text? We just, let's approach it with reverence, and humility and anticipation. Okay, would you stand with me and let's read John 17. And there is much that could be said about this whole chapter. I am going to be in verses 13 through 26. Okay, John 17, 13 through 26. These are the words of Jesus. He's praying and he says, but now I am coming to you And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, 
I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of God for the people of God and all God's people said, praise be to God. Please be seated. John 17, let me, let me give you the context of this prayer because we kind of jumped in midstream. Uh, Jesus, again, picture him, Garden of Gethsemane, on his knees, sweating drops of blood, praying. And he starts out and begins to pray in concentric circles, okay? First, he prays for himself. And even if you glance back at the start of chapter 17, let me just summarize it for you. Basically, Jesus says, Father, it's time. My whole life has been building up to this. It's time. Would you glorify yourself as you glorify your son now? Translated, I am about to bleed and die for the sins of the world. It's, it's time. And he says, Father, I want people to know eternal life. And here's eternal life. That they would know you and they would know Jesus. By the way, if you're here this morning and you kind of are just wondering what the big main point is, all these church people gathered in this room, here's what they ultimately care about more than anything that you would know the Lord. Like you can be in a relationship with Jesus. He died for you, not so that you'd live like this moral performance, good boy, good girl life, and that that's all there is until you get to heaven. You can know him. You can be in a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus is like, I am praying that people would know eternal life. And then he prays for those closest to him, his, his disciples, the men that journeyed with him on earth. And then when we kind of roll into our prayer, Jesus is blurring the lines. He's praying for his disciples and then he's like, and I'm also not only praying this for them, but I'm praying this for all my followers that will follow me. He prays for all of us. I literally believe in this amazing, miraculous sovereignty of God that he was praying for each of us. Okay? And here's what he prays. Let's just, let's just kind of delve into it and we'll unpack it. It's very mysterious, so hang with me, but let's watch what he prays. Let's go verses 13 through 16 first. Watch what he prays. I'll read it again. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You probably heard a word kind of come up over and over and over there. World. What does Jesus mean when he says world? Okay, let me give you a definition from um, a famous seminary professor's name is Dr. Richard Lovelace. Okay, here's what he says, ready? When world is used in a negative sense in scripture, what is meant is the total system of corporate flesh operating on earth under satanic control with all its incentives of reward and restraints of loss, its characteristic patterns of behavior, its anti-Christian structures, methods, goals, ideologies. Now, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds bad, doesn't it? That, that, is, that is a complex way of speaking, and here's, if I were to unpack that and make it simple, okay? I think he's saying there's the kingdom of God, and there's the kingdom of this world. And there are goals, and pursuits, and values, and, and a way of life that defines the kingdom of this world. But if you remember the text, in fact, go back to 13 through 16, Jesus prays God, he, he prays and says, keep them out of it, right? Like, like let them stay away from it, right? Like, like, keep them away from the world. Isn't that what Jesus prays? No, he does not. Okay? Jesus says, there's a kingdom of this world, and there are my followers, and this is what I want them to do. And if you, if you like to take notes, if you're the kind of person that wants to take notes, People say that these verses can basically be defined and structured in three prepositions, okay? And here's what they are, okay? Jesus is ultimately going to say this. There's the world. I don't want them out. I don't want them of. But I want them to live in, okay? Not out, not of, but in the world. That's what he's going to pray. I'm praying for my followers. I don't want them to be out of the world. I don't want them to be of the world. But, oh, Father, let them be in the world. Okay? So watch this. Look back at the text. He says, verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. What does it mean to be out of the world? A word that I would attach to that is to withdraw from the world. To say there, there's the big, bad, horrible world, its values, its goals, its people, its, its beliefs, and I am going to withdraw from it and do my own thing. There was this period in church history um, where there's a group of people called the box monks, okay? And here's what the box monks did. They said, there's the world. We don't want to be tainted. We don't want to be influenced. We don't want to get any of that world on us. So here's what we'll do. We will build these boxes, literally large walls, and create this little utopian Christian society, and we can be untouched by the world. We'll rope in food, rope in supplies, apparently leave to go to the bathroom. I don't even know how they did it. But we will protect ourselves from the world out there by creating our little holy bomb shelter in here, okay? Now, obviously, that is a very extreme example, okay? However, let me tell you a subtle trend that can sometimes happen in the Christian life, 
okay? And I want you to look for subtleties of this in your own life, okay? Here's the subtle trend. Before you knew Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you could look around your life and you could say, I have all kinds of relationships with people who are far from God. My, my great friends are far from God. I look around, I've got relationships all over the place. But when someone comes to Christ, often what happens is they get involved with a good church, praise God. They join a small group or some kind of discipleship community, praise God. They begin to develop Christian friendships. Praise the Lord. In fact, I am going to encourage you later in the sermon that you absolutely have to do that. However, here's one little subtle tendency that also creeps up. One day after following Christ for maybe 15, 20, 25 years, you can look around and realize, wait a second. Do I have any significant relationships in my life with people who are far from God? Like to, am I pursuing friendship with anybody in my life that, that doesn't know the Lord as their Savior? Am I building bridges into any aspects in this community with people that are just broken? And I ask you to take inventory of your life. Because Jesus is passionately, he's praying and he's saying, hey, there's the world and I don't want them out. I don't want them withdrawn. Here's what Ashley and I do. We, we try to build bridges in many different ways. I have four sons, 18, 17, 14, 12. And for the last 14 years, I have tried to coach them in everything. It started with little kid soccer and then little kid flag football and then big boy football and then basketball and ending seasons of basketball and lacrosse and, and just, just sport after sport after sport after sport. And I don't do that because I actually just, just absolutely love coaching. I do that to create touch points with people in my life who are far from God. So that I can use the avenue of sports to talk to kids and talk to parents about Jesus. Okay? And I don't know what that looks like for in your life, but I would just gently push you to say, please be constantly developing relationships with people who are far from God. Jesus is praying. He says, I don't want them out. Look at the example of Jesus. Two most common criticisms of Jesus. First, who he spends time with. Everybody was always looking at him saying, he's with the wrong crowd. Like, why is he befriending sinners and whores and tax collectors? And why, if he's so close to God, does he spend time with those who are so far from God? The second criticism, he's eating with them and being with them and, and constantly with them, okay? Jesus says, don't be out. But Jesus never sinned and he never compromised. So can I show you a second preposition? Not only out, watch this last sentence. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay? For many of you, in fact, I would say for most of you in here, your problem isn't that you are, like, withdrawing from the world and creating this little, you know, simplistic monk-like existence and kind of keeping away anybody in your life that doesn't know God, okay? But let me push on you just a little bit. For many of you, the problem might not be that 
you are withdrawing from the pursuits and values and goals and systems of this world. But when you look at your life next to the pursuits and values and systems of this world, it might be difficult to distinguish it. For example, there's a way that our world pursues money and possessions and success. I just want to ask you, is the way that you pursue money and possessions and success and materialism, does it look different? Does it look different? There's a way that our world does time and schedules and packing everything, you know, of course there's not time to pursue God as a family. Does your family schedule life look different? Jesus says, I want there to be an incredible difference, and we're going to look at that later. Jesus said there's systems, values, goals, pursuits, and I don't want my people to look like that. And again, let me just appeal to Jesus. His life always looked different. His life was always radically in contrast to everyone else. Okay? Jesus is praying. He says, I don't want them out. I don't want them of. But now let's go into the main point. Okay? I love this. He says, I want them in. He's praying. I forgot to say this. He's praying. He's saying, Protect them from the evil one. Protect that their hearts would not be lured by the pursuits of this world. I want them pursuing me. And then he says, let me tell you how I want you to live. So watch this. I love this. Verse 17 through 19. How do we live in this paradox of Jesus' prayer? Not out, not of, but in. Watch this. Here's what he says. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let me just pause here. This is a mega shift in the book of John. All throughout the book of John, in fact, 42 times in this gospel, Jesus is referred to as being sent by God. He's a sent one of God. Meaning he is sent, among other things, to display the heart of God to this world, which is an awesome truth because if you're here today and you're saying, I, I, I want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He's here to display the heart of God. Do you, you want to know the compassion of God? Look at how Jesus displayed compassion. Do you want to know how God feels about children? Look, look at how Jesus acted towards children. You want to know how, how God felt towards self-righteous people that, that thought they had their lives all together? Watch how Jesus acts. You want to know how God responds to a broken sinner pleading for mercy? Watch how Jesus acts. 42 times throughout this gospel. It says he is sent from God. And here Jesus prays and he says, as I've been sent, I'm sending them, Father. As you sent me, I'm sending them into the world. Um, let me illustrate it like this. It's been said of a Green Beret soldier that they can be dropped into any terrain. And if they have a knife, if they have a compass, and they have a map, they will survive, thrive, and make it home. Okay? That's what their training sets them up to do. And Jesus is about to say, I'm sending them into the world. 
but I will equip them with three great things. I will give them three great things so that they can live not out, not of, but in. I will equip them with three great insights that they can live not out of the world, not of the world, but in the world. This is what he says. Here's the first one. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then look at verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. That word sanctify, underline that word. That word sanctify means to be set apart. To be set apart for a special purpose. Now there's a difference between being set apart and separated. Separated is withdrawn from the culture. Set apart is within the culture yet set aside for a special purpose. And Jesus says, I want them in. I just want them set apart. And there's a means or an agent that sanctifies them. And it is, look at the text, it's truth. It's the truth of God's word harvest. He's given us a sanctifying agent that we might walk across the terrain that we're in. And it's God's word. All right. How's your relationship with God's word? Is he producing in you a passion to hear his voice through his word? To know his word, to know truth. Wherever you are in your journey, I pray that this would be a year that you seek the Lord through his word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the word of God is the very breath of God. All scripture is God-breathed. Does that mess with your mind like it messes with mine? All scripture is God-breathed. It is the very breath of God through his pages on our life. And it's useful for correcting and teaching and training in righteousness. Um, My favorite scene in the Chronicles of Narnia, um, if you've read those books or seen those movies, there's this one scene where, where there's the courtyard of the white witch and there's all these statues, okay, turned to stone. And the lion, Aslan, jumps into the courtyard and breathes on the statues and they come to life. And the breath of the lion gives life out of death. And Jesus is saying, I'm putting them into the world, but let my breath, let my correcting, training, guiding breath through my word be in their heart. Does that make sense? Be in the world with God's word in your heart. All right? Let me give you a second one. Not only God's word in your heart, but watch this. Verse 20 through 23. I didn't think it rained in Memphis. I always come in spring and it's perfect weather and it's like, okay. Verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so the world may believe that you've sent me. The glory you've given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. There's a word that just jumps out of this paragraph. It's the word one. Jesus is longing for unity and praying for unity and looking out at the believers all throughout time and saying, Father, let them be one. 
Let there be not only God's word in your heart, but here's a second one. God's people at your side, okay? You are not meant to do this Christian life alone. You are not meant to be alone in a church, which can sometimes be a lonely place. You are meant to pursue other believers and have them sharpen you and walk with you and hold you accountable and confront you and hang out with you. In locked arms, walk this Christian life together. And Jesus gives this very mysterious statement. I don't even know how to explain it, okay? But let me share with you what he says, okay? This is more mysterious than words can do. Here's what Jesus says. Father, just like you are in me and I'm in you, let them be in us. And this mysterious connection that you and I have, let them be mysteriously connected to us so their unity flows out of a connection with us. Does that make sense? A true definition of community is when we commune with the Lord and commune with each other and biblical community is created. Uh, A.W. Tozer, a very famous pastor, he once said this illustration. He said, if you take 100 pianos in a room and you try to tune them to each other, will they get in tune? No way. But if you take one standard, one tuning fork, and play one tone, and all 100 pianos tune to that one tone, they are all in tune with each other. Jesus says, you be united. You live in unity. How do you be in this world? You be united. And then he says this, it blows my mind. So that the world may believe in you. Do you know that the greatest like, display of truth to an unbelieving world is this group of people that have this mysterious unity that would never draw them together except for Christ? When an unbelieving world that is, that is absolutely walled up with, with, with race and walled up with, with socioeconomic status and not united at all sees a believing body of Christ that loves each other and is together, they'll say there's got to be something different. And so I don't know where you are in this world. I'm not, I'm not your pastor, okay? I'm a once-a-year guy, but let me, let me compel you Pursue other believers in your life and have real, authentic, biblical community. God's saying, I want my word in your heart. I want my people at your side. And then he's saying one more. And this is by far the best part, okay? And in some ways, it's so simple because what I'm about to share with you, you've been learning since you've been like four years old in, in kids' ministry, but we still struggle to wrap our heart and mind around it. But it is the best part, okay? Watch this. Verse 24 through 26. Father, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Verse 25, and made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them, watch this, and I in them. 
Jesus says, Father, I want them to know the love that we have in them. In verse 13, he says, I want our joy to be in them. But he says, Father, I want the greatest thing to be in them, the game changer to be in them. Here's what I'm going to do. Father, I will be in them. Harvest, please don't miss what I'm going to say. Of all the things I've prayed for for this morning, this is what I feel like the Lord has compelled me to share with this church. Okay, so please don't miss this. Christian fellowship and being with each other in a church is an awesome part of Christianity. It's not the best part. And having a changed lifestyle and living godly according to his word is a great part of Christianity, but it's not the best part. And knowing that like, we'll go to heaven one day and live for all of eternity is a great part of Christianity, but it's not the best part. Look at me. The greatest part of Christianity is Christ. The greatest part of Christianity is that Jesus said, I want to be in you. I don't want you to do life alone. I don't want you to do life on your own power. I don't want you to do life with your own patience, with your own, with your own strength. I want to empower you with something that you could never have on your own strength. I, the living king of the universe, want to walk with you and I'll be in you and I want you to experience me and know me and hear my voice and live life with God on earth. I'm sending you into this world with God's word in your heart and God's people in your side and God's presence within you through Jesus. Don't do Christianity and miss Christ. Don't try to live a Christian life and miss the best part, which is walking with Jesus. He loves you and he wants to dwell with you. Earlier chapter, John 14, he's looking at his disciples in the eyes and he literally says this. He says, I'm leaving now, but it's going to be better for you. And all the disciples are like, what? How could it be better than you with us? Watch what Jesus says. This is John 14, 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. And this is one of those theological mysteries that Paul, by the way, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, he's mesmerized by this, okay? This is called our union with Christ. And here's the core truth, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Let me say it again, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. Let me just unpack it quickly and then we'll be done. That we are in Christ, meaning before the eyes of God, you are mysteriously connected to Jesus Christ. This is a mystery. This is not going to be like real clear and alliterated and, and pretty. This is like blow your mind mystery. But before the eyes of God, watch this. Jesus lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose from the grave, and Paul 165 times throughout the New Testament says, you are in Christ. You are in Christ. You are in him, just like he has risen. Paul says in Colossians 3, since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart and mind on things above, 
Like the resurrection life of Jesus is mysteriously connected to you and we have the victory of Jesus because we're connected to him. Uh, that is stunning. And then most profoundly and so simply, it's so life-altering. Christ is in you. So let me just apply this and then I'll pray it over you. If you are a mom of many little kids and you're exhausted and sometimes you don't even know how you're going to make it through the day because the laundry stack is so high and you can't keep your kids from killing each other. Okay, look at me. You're not meant to do it on your own patience, on your own strength, on your own power. You are meant to lean into the power of Jesus within you, to walk with him, to hear from him, and to know that his word can be in your heart and his people can be in your side and his presence can be by you. And you do life with Christ. He's in you. If you're a businessman and you're saying, I would like to display Jesus to my office, I don't know how, I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the strength, you're not meant to do it alone. You're meant to ask Jesus for help and surrender to him and walk with him and listen to him and let him live his life through you and enjoy his presence at work. And people will say, there's something different about him. Yes, he's indwelt with Christ. If you're a student, all right, trying to navigate difficult waters of high school, you're not meant to do it alone. You're meant to do it as one who's indwelt with Christ and leaning in to him. And Harvest Church, do this for me. Just stand up. I just want to speak truth over you and pray for you. Harvest, let me look you in the eyes, okay? And I want to call you to some truth that has the weight of the living king of the universe, okay? There was a night where he got down on his knees and he prayed for you. And I believe he was praying and saying, Harvest, don't you be a church that does church on your own strength. Don't just put on Sunday morning shows. Don't just do a religious performance. You be a people that are not out of the world, not of the world, but in the world. How do you be in the world? Treasure God's truth. Have his truth in your heart. Have his people at your side. And have Jesus and his very presence dwelling within you. And you will be a prayer request answered for Jesus. Let me just pray over us. Lord, we love you. We need you. We treasure you. We sing of your great love and we, we want more of you, God. And so I pray for this church that this would be a church that experiences the power of the living God in their midst. God, would you do the deep work within us that we might experience your power and know your name. We love you so much. We lift our lives to you, Jesus. Take these truths and build it within us. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.